Behind the Scenes. Conversations with European researchers and innovators. The most important thing when it comes to waste is that uh, it will stay here, it won't go away. So we must have to find a way to live with it. In this podcast, we will hear the inspiring stories and journeys of Europe's most brilliant scientists and innovators, whose discoveries are having an impact on our daily lives. Here's how they got to where they are. These are our top stories. Our guest today is Andrei Fidushek, Zero Waste Specialist. He's currently employed in logistics at Fidushek Eurologistica, and he co-founded the organization Zero Waste Zalek aiming to bring sustainable change on the ground. Now in September 21, his team, led by him, won the new European Bauhaus Prize for their idea, Zero Waste House, towards Circular Commons. Andre, thank you very much for joining us today from Slovenia. And thanks to you, we're going to learn a lot more about zero waste, urban and community gardening. And you have a great interest in this topic and a breadth of knowledge. So this is absolutely fascinating for many people. But we'd like to understand your personal journey. So if we can rewind a few years and try and understand some areas of your background, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what you were dreaming of becoming when you were growing up. Thank you, Jennifer. Most of the time when I was a young boy, I spent at my grandparents' place, which was in the middle of our town. It was like a small green oasis with an urban garden and a lot of trees and stuff. And so I had a lot of interaction with nature. I enjoyed observing animals and plants, how they interact with one another and climbing trees and playing in that small garden. It really did wonders to my imagination. Since a very young age, I was quite environmentally aware of all the things going on. And do you think you were developing any skills that you would later use in your work life? Oh yeah, my grandfather, he was a carpenter and I often played with the leftovers of wood and I was making my own wooden toys and stuff. And I think this was quite a nice basis for further development. I always tried to like reuse waste from a very young age onwards. There are some people that can't stand imperfection or inefficient processes, and they constantly strive to improve them. Now, we see from your CV that you already had many ideas and projects, and most of them are about problem solving. So this initial disappointment can be a push to creativity and problem solving. Yes, absolutely. I simply cannot stand waste in any form because I know how much energy was required to create this waste in the first place. So for me, it's all about finding ways to design waste out of this circular loop to try and simulate natural ecosystems where there are only nutrients, no waste, and they just serve different purposes. But in our world, there are certain limits imposed on us. But I think that external limitations are like the best catalyst for creativity because you need to find a solution for a certain problem within the realm of sometimes a very limited possibility. And I think this really drives the entire process of innovation onwards. Moving on a little bit, you studied business, retail and marketing. So where does your vision on zero waste fit into that? And when did that become the defining feature of your career? I know you say it was already a defining feature of things you were interested in. Well, yeah, I had this opportunity to study abroad in Glasgow. 
And uh, it was kind of uh, like a deal, you know, we have to study something that will get you a job afterwards. So I went into business. However, I soon realized that marketing is not really for me. I didn't really like it that much. So my dissertation was on zero waste grocery retail. And I just tried to like uh, find a new paradigm in uh, retailing pretty much how to like be as sustainable as possible and to benefit the wider community as well with uh, activity of business. We usually tend to connect creativity to new inventions, creating something new that wasn't there before. But creativity is also about taking something that is there and changing it in a completely new way. So problem solving is about creativity. There's this cognitive test, an exercise called the candle problem. It was invented in 1949, where you're given one candle, two matches, and a box of thumbtacks, the pins that you use to pin paper to a wall. And with this, you have to find a way to stick the candle to the wall so the candle wax won't drip onto the table below. It's a problem, and it looks like there's no solution, but there is a solution, and to find it, we need to change the way we think. And sometimes we're obliged to work only with what we have. And I have the impression that you do this in your projects. You pick something that is already there, you pick a problem, and you look for new solutions. Yes, that's true to an extent. Uh, I often tend to think uh, outside the box and try to connect various elements where there is no clear connection upon the first glance. So for me, it's never just about money or any other singular objective. I have a different way of looking at things when approaching various projects and so on. So I always filter my ideas through a sort of a fractal triadic prism. This is simply put three pillars, nature, knowledge, and people. In other words, natural capital, social capital, and intellectual capital. Basically, this just means that I try to imagine how a certain project will affect the natural world, how it will affect the people around me and beyond, and what can we learn from it through time. In September 2021, as mentioned previously, you and your colleague, Jonah Rakkocelli, won the new European Bauhaus Rising Star Prize, which gives visibility to examples and concepts that illustrate how beautiful, sustainable, inclusive places already exist in our territories, our communities and in our practices, paving the way to the future. Could you please tell us a bit more about it and what it's all about? Thanks. Well, the project Zero Waste House aims to redesign waste as a concept out of society. So the first part is uh, setting an example. The plan is to selectively demolish the old house where I currently live and then salvage and reuse as many bricks, wood, stones as possible. And afterwards, we aim to build a new house, which is aligned to the principles of circular economy. And we think that the house should interact with the environment. Therefore, we aim to harvest rainwater, solar energy, and use the earth as like a climate battery. And the house itself is intended as a wooden skeletal construction that is designed for future disassembly. So in the case the wood is needed in like the next 200 years, we can easily disassemble it. But while it stands, it still stores around 50 tons of CO2. So it's more or less carbon neutral. And we also aim to attach a passive greenhouse to the south side of the house. It will uh, host an aquaponic system for greater levels of food self-sufficiency. And uh, another expected outcome is the creation of the material passport, which is basically a list of all the materials that are in the house. 
And in terms of interior design, we would like to create furniture and other interior features such as stairs or a fence or like walls from reused materials to repurpose and bring new life to products that would otherwise just be landfilled or recycled into lower value products. The project itself, it consists of various different elements, such as the selective demolition process. Then we have the tools library, where neighbors and citizens could borrow tools. The community garden, which provides elderly neighbors with fresh local food, socialization, and a little bit of exercise as well. And the amenity shed, a small-scale composting facility for our neighbors to use, and myself, we do various things that uh, where there is this common threat of reducing waste and creating meaningful connections in the community. And how did you develop the idea? Well, basically, the idea was actually in the making for at least a decade. When uh, I was younger, I was thinking that if I'll ever be lucky enough to afford a new house, it must be the most environmentally friendly house possible. And to achieve this, a building must not be an alien. Instead, it should interact with the environment. So we incorporated various elements such as local and natural reused materials, a water harvesting system, photovoltaics, and a geothermal heat pump. Of course, also there's like the passive greenhouse that is attached to the south side of the actual house. But we couldn't use wind because we don't live in a windy area, so it would just be ineffective. Also, as for the rest, we had this kind of design principle, form follows function, and function follows energy. And we are trying to adhere to this principle as much as possible. There are different ways a team works. In some cases, one has the idea and the other one is a more concrete person that brings it down to earth into something implementable. Or there are teams where ideas get developed as a ping-pong game with both contributing a little part. Which was it in your case? Well, Jona and I are cousins, actually, so we were just a two-person team behind the Zero Waste House. And she is an educated architect, while I'm just a, a simple utopian dreamer. And I came to her uh, with a bunch of unconventional ideas for uh, my house, and she helped to distill them down into this practically applicable form. And also, it wouldn't cost too much. Basically, I was conceptualizing and she was drawing. We were improvising like a jazz band, listening to one another and enriching our ideas in the process. And because driving is one of my biggest handicaps, I simply couldn't do it. So it was a lot of ping-ponging back and forth between Yona and I. And uh, we kind of realized afterwards that we reached a form that was aligned and it actually improved on our initial individual ideas. So I was very happy with the entire design process. When we think about the old Bauhaus, we can say, by simplifying a lot, that it turned around finding a combination between aesthetics, function and mass production to build houses for people that are functional and beautiful at the same time. And when we hear you talk about your project, we understand that the new European Bauhaus is different. The challenge is now harder because it's also about beauty and aesthetics, but it's also about sustainability and inclusiveness. What did you like about this challenge when you decided to participate? When I first encountered the call for project submission on social media, I was ecstatic. I was so happy because I knew that I found the right thing. The project conditions were perfectly aligned to my way of thinking. 
and the way I think about the built environment. So for me personally, the application process was a piece of cake. We did it in like one week, basically. But I have to admit that it was based on years and years of research, which I done prior to the NEB call. When I was searching on my own for various solutions to the ecological and the humanitarian crisis of our time. And this is the thing I like the most about the new European Bauhaus. It aims to address the very real problems that we are facing as humanity and as nature. Behind the scenes. Now, the EU is working on five missions to achieve by 2030. One of those is the Climate Neutral and Smart Cities mission. The aim there is to deliver at least 100 climate-neutral smart cities by 2030 and to inspire all the other cities to follow suit by 2050. You mentioned how important it is to have social innovation and also the importance of having both the top-down and the bottom-up dimension. So this is very important, and with everything we've said about the new European Bauhaus, about developing buildings that are beautiful, yes, but also sustainable and inclusive, I see a connection here between the new European Bauhaus and the Climate Neutral and Smart Cities mission. So let me challenge you now. How do you imagine the city of the future? Well, uh, to sum it up in one sentence, I would say under the asphalt is a garden and under the concrete there is life. And we live in very car-centric cities. So in my opinion, a city of the future shouldn't have any cars. Instead, we need like walkable communities with amenities and jobs within a cycling distance. A city of the future should also be very biophilic, basically a forest, and uh, have an extremely effective metabolism so that uh, all the biological nutrients and all the technical flows can be composted, recycled and reused and so on. And this should be done within the very city limits. And to achieve true sustainability, we need to grow as much food as possible within the city and uh, build, or even better, repair or maintain as many products as possible with the available material that is within the city itself. And what's the biggest challenge you are facing right now and how are you overcoming it? The biggest challenges, in my opinion, are, of course, the rising levels of inequality and the environmental crisis in which we are currently. But this is like a very broad challenge, which we try to distill down to waste. It's something that uh, I'm doing in my personal life as well, trying to minimize my energy usage and minimize waste. But in this particular project, we try to tackle construction and demolition waste. It accounts for around 800 million tons per year in the EU, which is uh, the largest share of waste. And uh, usually it's recycled, but it's used for low-grade applications, such as uh, backfilling, for example. Therefore, our project was orientated to tackle this specific issue of waste. This is the priority. President von der Leyen has announced that 2022 will be the year of the youth. The idea behind this initiative is that Europe needs the vision, engagement and participation of all young people to build a better future that is greener, more inclusive and digital. So given your experience, you're already a great example of this. How do you see your work impacting future generations? Well, I hope that positively, of course, especially in the context of uh, effective circular economy. But there's like a rule of thumb that 
there need to be at least three generations before a new system is fully internalized and becomes natural. So in my opinion, the onus is now on the existing decision makers. They must be the ones who start laying foundation for an ecological and humanist future. And uh, I want to be that second generation, you know, that will help to expand on the initial ideas. But at the end, it's not only me, of course. And that's why I want to highlight and sincerely thank all those millions of people around the world who are already creating change and are already working towards a bright future. And I think that if we can harness this immense collaborative power, then we still have a small chance to make the future a pleasant place to live in. So how important then is policy in the EU context in driving the sort of social change and action that you're looking for and that so many people do support? I think all of this is extremely important, especially in the context of ecology and environmentalism, because usually it's very difficult to obtain any funds whatsoever, since uh, most of the funding processes are orientated towards uh, profit-focused organizations. Whereas the EU is doing some really good stuff here because it allows even small organizations or even bigger organizations which are focused on ecology and environmentalism to actually do something. It provides a greater degree of freedom because there is no money whatsoever and these funds do help to put a lot of the projects on the road. So I cannot imagine like doing what we are doing without the help of the EU or the local municipality, which also supports projects which are not inherently profit-motivated. And again, how important is it that the EU is inviting everyone, especially at local level, to contribute and come up with ideas and solutions? I think that this is of immense importance. The ecological crisis is simply too big to be solved centrally. And the people on the ground, they have knowledge of their local surroundings and they can better imagine how to apply various sustainable projects. So I think locally-based approaches can build greater levels of solidarity and mutual aid in the community. However, I often emphasize that it should be cosmolocal, that it should be shared worldwide and applied locally to various contexts as successfully as possible. So that knowledge and information should flow inwards and outwards from a given community so that we can all benefit and learn, and most importantly, to learn from both the mistakes and successes of various projects. And what is the one thing you wish that everybody understood better about your field? I think that waste itself is like a common denominator to each of us. I mean, to every human and non-human life as well. It's like a common thread that connects the past generations and the next generations through time and through actual space. So I would like for people to understand the importance of waste not only as a material that could be reused, but also as a reminder of how we could improve ourselves as species, how our lives could be much more wonderful if we could approach the question of waste from the right angles. And I think that this is the most important thing when it comes to waste, is that uh, it will stay here, it won't go away. So we must have to find a way to live with it. Okay, final question. Do you have a short take-home message about climate imperatives for our audience? What's your final thing that you would like the audience to be thinking about? That's a very big question. 
basically how to use less energy and live more, how to form our lives around play and not work, how to form meaningful connections instead of just ephemeral things online. Basically, we have to change everything if we want to retain our current lifestyles. And to do this, we're going to have to cooperate as never before. We're going to have to mobilize as never before. Thank you very much, Andre. I think there's a lot of different ideas that we need to draw together there from critical thinking to collaboration. So thank you very much for today's interview. More information on Andre's project can be found online. Check the details of the episode for all the links and information, especially if you're a young person and interested in knowing more about EU funding opportunities. As we've seen today, the EU is ready to support your ideas. This podcast series is brought to you by the European Commission and you can find it on all listening platforms. If you enjoyed this conversation, rate this podcast on all listening platforms and share it with your friends on social media.